Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes. We're broadcast on WKXL AM and FM in Concord, New Hampshire, and now at 101.9 in Manchester, New Hampshire. We're podcast everywhere you get podcasts on all the platforms. And if you're listening by podcast, please subscribe to our podcast. We're brought to you by the Capital Center for the Arts in Concord, New Hampshire. Two great venues with great shows happening all the time. You can visit ccanh.com to find out more. I'm very pleased to welcome back to Capital Close-Up, Kevin Landrigan, New Hampshire's leading political journalist. He's an award-winning journalist. We've been friends for a long time. He's covered me. I've never covered him, but <laughs> it's terrific to have you back, Kevin. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Paul. Great to be with you. So there's a lot of news to catch up yeah. on since the last time we talked. Um, since the last time we talked, I think Democrats have lost two mm. great champions, Rennie Cushing and Kathy Rogers, both lost to cancer. Rennie, a longtime uh, representative, former House Democratic leader, started his political career uh, protesting at the Seabrook nuclear plant, um, oversaw the end of the death penalty. And Kathy Rogers, a longtime uh, Concord, New Hampshire area representative, um, a native of Concord, served as city councilor for many years, representing Ward 9 in Concord. Um, and then uh, as state representative, she was a county commissioner. She was a prosecutor. Um, these were both really important people to the Democrats. Where, what has their loss meant for Democrats in New yeah. Hampshire? Yeah, I think it, it's very significant for both of them. I, and I think mainly because um, they both not only accomplished a whole lot in their own right, but um, were really gifted um, at figuring out kind of the secret sauce of New Hampshire politics, which is um, how do you bridge the great divide, especially in these really polarized times of ours? Um, how, do you, how do you get things done even when you're not in the majority and both these fine people um, who will be well-remembered figured out how to do that. I mean, um, uh, Rennie Cushing, gosh, um, think of the signature progressive accomplishments in the last 20 years, whether it's legalizing same-sex marriage, decriminalizing marijuana, repealing the death penalty, um, um, criminal justice reform, um, all these things have Rennie Cushing's DNA all over them. And mainly because, um, as I say, with both of them, um, they both had a really infectious personality, you know, and, a, and a, a, an ability to get people who, not violently, but vocally disagreed with them to really like them. And, um, and both Rennie and Kathy were like that. Kathy, um, whether it was gun control or animal rights, or um, she always managed um, to attract conservative Republican support often to many of her causes. And, um, and among some of both of their closest friends uh, weren't liberal Democrats. They had a lot of friends who were liberal Democrats, but um, uh, people I think who felt strongest about them were those that, who they fought in the trenches against, um, but res so respected them, them for their integrity, for their ethical uh, conduct. Um, um, 
for the really fighting hard and passionately for their own causes, but understanding that um, um, we have to be people too, and we have to try and get along when we can get along. And they both, uh, I think that's what they'll most be, both, most be remembered by. Yeah, it's really important and really challenging, as you said, in yeah. these, you know, fractious and dysfunctional times in New Hampshire to be able to reach across the aisle, especially because um, the New Hampshire legislature flips back and forth right. pretty, re pretty regularly. Um, and, you know, the other thing is when you've had when you have long time. Uh, representatives uh, who are lost. Um, the, some of the institutional memory yes. also sure. goes goes with it. But so they will both be. You know the other you know, right. Yeah. And the other thing, the other thing about them obviously was too is there were people you weren't in your foxhole, right? I mean, I remember Kathy Rogers before she got elected to anything, and that's what I wrote about uh, in a little remembrance in my column was that uh, she was considered one of the most talented political operatives, somebody who really knew uh, how to build a campaign and get momentum for a candidate. Um, uh, people like the late Senator John Durkin would tell me that Kathy Rogers was one of the three or four people in New Hampshire you really wanted first to work for you. Rennie Cushing, talk to, talk to Bernie Sanders about Rennie Cushing. I mean, Bernie right. has been outspoken and was long prior to Rennie's passing that Rennie's support for him was absolutely essential to building not one, but two um, New Hampshire presidential primary victories in New Hampshire. Um, uh, and, and again, and that's because both these people um, were really good at uh, uh, not promoting self, but promoting others and their, and their causes. Well, they'll, they're both sorely missed and mm -hmm. we, you know, just, we celebrate them both, but for their service and, and for everything they did for New Hampshire. Yeah. So moving on now to uh, perhaps it's presidential politics, perhaps it's Senate politics. Um, President Biden is going to visit New Hampshire again tomorrow. Mm -hmm. He recently was in Iowa. He was last here in New Hampshire in November, uh, right after the interest infrastructure bill, uh, the billion dollar infrastructure bill was signed. Um, he's coming back to talk about infrastructure. Um, you know, his critics are probably saying, well, what else does he have to talk about? It's interesting, of course, that Senator Hassan, who's up for re-election. Her office uh, issued a statement about the visit. Um, I haven't seen any details about whether or not it's going to be a public event yeah. or yeah. it's a private event, but what's all this about? Why is he, why is he coming back? Is it just to help uh, Senator Haston? Is it because uh, uh, we're, you know, is it, is it primary politics? Because yeah. yeah. there's, uh, there's, there's some movement on the primary front. Yeah, there is. And I think, it, it, I think, as you pointed out in the open, I think it is a combination of both things, right? I think that um, uh, the, the U.S. Senate seat in New Hampshire remains one of the most targeted in the country. Um, um, and hasn't been improving a bit in the polls, but it's a really, really competitive race. And, uh, and I think President Biden wants to come here to, uh, to pledge his support for her and and let her know it's real important. But I think the primary is part of this too. I do 
think um, there's no coincidence he comes a little over a week after the Democratic National Committee essentially, you know, gave the open hand to New Hampshire with mm-hmm. this with this process with this process of well, you can apply to be um, if you want to be one of the first, not be first. If you want to be one of the first, we'll decide whether we deign to um, permit you to have the first primary you've had since 1920, uh, long before any of the very uh, influential people on the Democratic National Committee were probably alive. Uh, But um, um, so, um, as we know, Joe Biden has never done well in the New Hampshire primary, but he got a good victory against Donald Trump in 2020, uh, is very grateful for that. Um, And and I think think that's kind of the subplot to this trip is to essentially say to New Hampshire Democrats from the president, you're still important to us, and we still consider New Hampshire primary very important. Um, uh, and what, as you know, what I think what's most unsettling about this whole primary issue for a lot of Democrats here is it's kind of counter, counterintuitive, right? Which is mm-hmm. you don't fight about your primary while your party holds the presidency. I mean, you won. What what's what's the impetus to change the right. calendar now? If you want, um, including in New Hampshire, pretty significant six point victory for them, but uh, for Biden here, which um, but um, there's a lot of powerful Democrats who, uh, for decades, have felt New Hampshire's too uh, too small, um, uh, too rural too white um, and, uh, and too powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's why we're seeing this play out. But I think that um, the president will be giving an address at, um, at the Port Authority. He'll arrive at um, uh, the Pease Airport. Um, both will be open press, uh, both the speech and his arrival. Um, we're getting more details uh, today. Um, since the arrival is going to be happening on Tuesday, which is, uh, um, but as you know, the infrastructure bill is really one of the signature achievements of this White House, and um, um, it's been a rough couple of months for them. So I'm not I'm not surprised. Um, this is what they want to talk about because right. um, um, getting a lot of this infrastructure money out is pretty is pretty important. As, as the, the White House faces inflation challenges, supply chain challenges, even uh, the embers of COVID challenges. So, um, uh, um, so we're talking about infrastructure. Yeah, I mean, to say they're challenged is an understatement. Yeah. Um, recent, recent polling has <laughs> just not been friendly. Um, to the Biden to, to the Biden presidency. I mean, it's like the more he the more he tries, the uh, louder all the noise is, uh, drowning drowning out anything good that's happening. People are, you know, we're about we're, we may get into it a little bit later. We're seeing some uptick in some of the COVID. You've got um, war happening in the Ukraine. Inflation is running is running rampant. So what do you do? Come and talk about infrastructure, because at least we got that passed. You yeah. know, meanwhile, while the 
Democrats seem to be um, pointing all their uh, 357 magnums at their own feet about the primary. Uh, the Republican Party says it's going to keep Iowa and New Hampshire at the top of its presidential nomination calendar. Um, and of course, uh, while the Democrats have declared open season yet again on the New Hampshire uh, primary, um, New Hampshire law requires our primary to be the first. That's right. And uh, we're not governed by party rule. We're governed by state law, right. which, give, which gives us the first primary. And um, this is certainly a baptism under fire for the new secretary of state, Dave Scanlon, <laughs> who, you know, who, who's, who um, studied for 20 years at the, you know, uh, uh, at the feet of the retired incumbent, uh, Bill Gardner. So, um, he learned from the master and, and I suspect um, Dave Scanlon is going to be more than up to the test, but um, he will be tested. Um, but as you point out, um, uh, we've used our law to maintain our first in the nation status in many cycles. And I suspect we're going to have to use it very aggressively uh, this time as well. <laughs> So let's turn our attention uh, to the Republican Party, uh, yeah. in addition to the Republicans announcing their primaries are going to stay in Iowa and New Hampshire. Um, we've got a, a, a crowded field in the uh, Republican U.S. Senate primary vying to take on um, sitting United States Senator Maggie Hassan, who is running unopposed. Um, Hassan has... Um, fattened up her coffers. She recently announced $4.3 million haul for the first quarter of 2022. That's a record. It's a huge amount of money. But you recently reported uh, that the uh, Republican Senate uh, primary is about to get more, even more crowded. What's going on? Yeah, I think um, I think there are a number of Republicans in New Hampshire that really see a great opportunity here. And um, and especially um, given that Chris Lanun has decided to run for a fourth term, pretty popular uh, three-term governor. In other words, somebody a lot of Republicans could feel real comfortable running with, you know, so I think that's why we're seeing more and more interest here. Um, a two-time U.S. Senate candidate from New York, uh, Wendy Long, who uh, grew up in New Hampshire, graduated from Dartmouth. Um, she's moved back to Keene, um, uh, has been telling conservatives she's getting ready to enter the race. Um, early supporter of Donald Trump in 2016. He, um, um, so, uh, and, and someone who clerked for T Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice, and also said during, at, right after the election, uh, the Washington Post reported, she, she said in an email, I believe in our hearts that it, it was likely a stolen election and that President Trump would be determined to be the legitimate winner. So um, those are obviously music to the ears of the former president. I think she's got to be considered a contender, at least for Trump's endorsement here, despite never having run for anything here. So um, she spices things up. We also have Vikram Mansharami, who's a, uh, a businessman investor from Lincoln, um, uh, who's looking to end a race. He's already signed up Mike Biondo, who's a longtime uh, conservative Republican uh, consultant. 
he and his partner, Derek Dufresne, uh, and Rob Barcelone, too, who had worked with both um, former Senator Kelly Ayotte and former Governor Craig Benson, both another talented um, hire. Um, if he runs, he'll run against the political establishment there. So um, we've had the Bitcoin millionaire, um, Bruce Fenton uh, from Durham, who's um, um, a libertarian-minded person, but a, a registered Republican. He's gotten into the race. He says he could spend as much as $5 million of his own money. Chuck Morris, the Senate president last week, um, announced he had raised $750,000, uh, which was the most of any candidate to that point. But I think that's underlining what I was talking, what you had alluded to here. Uh, if you're the most, if you're the candidate who's raised the most money in this race and it's 15% of what Maggie Hassan raised just in this quarter, then that, like I said, that's sort of an invitation. That's not unimpressive, but it's certainly an invitation for people with means to get in this race that self-funded candidates will be welcome in this Republican primary. And that's, and that's part uh, of what we're seeing here. Um, and right. uh, maybe it's not over, I don't know, but, um, um, uh, but it makes for a crowded race. And, um, and if you're already in this race and you're someone like Chuck Morris or even Kevin Smith, the former Londonderry town manager, really what this means is uh, you need fewer votes to win. Right. If there's that many candidates in, I mean, it's it's not going to be 50 plus one to win this primary. You could win this primary with 30 percent plus one. So um, um, it requires all of them to get more strategic, more surgical, um, try and identify where their vote is going to come from and also try and figure out would would these new candidates enter? Who, who are they going to take votes from? Right. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, just, just to complete the, the sort of the cash picture, mm. retired yeah. army general Don Bolduc yeah. um, raised about a hundred thousand dollars in right. the first quarter, you know, it, as of course, as a former congressman, I'm, 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 I'm well familiar with the money yes. race. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I gained some credibility in my first yeah. races by doing pretty well on the fundraising front yes. it, it nearly it's you know it's a pretty crushing um pretty crushing job to become a telemarketer um instead of a candidate you'd like to be out doing nothing but talking about issues instead you're strapped to your desk uh raising yeah. cash but yeah but certainly um you know cash counts uh because uh, it, it not only talks about credibility, but it gives you the opportunity to uh, to spread your message and gain name recognition in the media. Um, yeah. So Maggie Hassan has is has got a huge lead. However, you know, when you've got a potential self funder who yeah. can throw five million dollars worth of Bitcoin to get some name recognition or a candidate like uh, potentially Wendy Long that you mentioned who can come in with the with a Donald Trump endorsement and all that that could bring. Yes. Um, you've got a really complex situation on on the Republican side. I'm I suppose Maggie Hassan isn't shedding any tears at the competition. Yep. We are seeing a lot of action around redistricting in New Hampshire. And redistricting uh, means the redrawing 
of the maps uh, for both the U.S. um, federal seats as well as uh, the state legislature and executive council. And there's been some real news on uh, what's happened with redrawing the new congressional maps for the state. Um, What's going on there? Yeah, with congressional redistricting, you know, there's really only, we're one of only four states in the country now that hasn't finished the job yet. Uh, and why? And, and, and that's, the, that's the key question, right? If Republicans are holding every lever of power, uh, why is this such a hard job? Well, I think it's because um, um, this governor, Kristen Nunu, um, wants, to, wants to use um, the Republican majority to get an advantage, but not, not so it looks so uh, brazen. And, and over the top. And they felt, and he felt um, the congressional map, um, which really only had to move uh, 9,000 people. He felt the congressional map approved by the House and the Senate that moved more than 300,000 people, 75 towns of wards, um, but from one district to the other district, just was a bridge too far. I can't support that because, and the reason he couldn't support it is is his belief it would create two non-competitive districts. It would create a second congressional district that Annie Custer now holds, that you used to hold, would become in perpetuity, at least for the next decade, um, a lock for a democratic seat, you know? And, um, and that's of concern for him since Jeff Cousins, who um, a Littleton Beer Company, executive, really um, successful entrepreneur, good friend of Kristen, and who is already running as a Republican in that seat. Um, uh, so he wants him to at least have a chance of, of beating Andy Custer. Meanwhile, he felt it would create the first congressional district into a seat that would not only retire Chris Pappas after a couple of terms, but uh, become a Republican lock. And, um, and he couldn't support that. And um, so he said he'd veto the plan and uh, legislative leaders met with the governor behind closed doors and the governor came out and said, um, well, I've got a map and it's just a map. There's all kinds of potential maps here. Um, and it moves a whole lot fewer towns, um, but it on the margins makes the first district more Republican and on the margins makes the second district more democratic, but not as severe as that plan. Um, but we're still, um, we're not playing kissy face here with the legislative leaders and Chris Sununu. Uh, they're not sold on his map. They've, they've, they've already decided, okay, well, let's have a hearing on your map. So they're going to have a hearing this Friday. And they're anxious to see who steps up and embraces this map. Are the Democrats going to embrace a redistricting map from Chris Sununu? I don't think so. Um, are you going to have residents from these communities that are getting moved? For example, residents of Bedford, Merrimack, and Hooksett, all Republican towns, all, um, all right now um, in the uh, all 
anchors of the first congressional district in the governor's map all moved into the second congressional district. Uh, are those people going to come and say, yeah, we, we'd really rather have any custer representatives instead of being in the first district, which where we could actually have a Republican at some point represent us. I don't think so. So um, it'll be really fascinating to see uh, what takes place at that hearing and, and what comes as a result of it. Um, as you know, with redistricting, uh, we only see um, what redistricting experts want us to see, meaning uh, there's always there's an unlimited number of potential maps, and many of them are already uh, sitting in file drawers, you know, of GOP offices in the legislature. So um, if, if the governor's map falls flat, I have no doubt um, Republicans have alternatives to try it out. But, um, but times are wasting, and that's why um, last week, Supreme Court Chief Justice Gordon McDonald um, announced he and his colleagues had named a special master to uh, have the duty of drawing the congressional redistricting map if the legislature and this governor can't get together. I mean, the filing period's the, in early June. So um, there's not a whole lot of time to, to have this great summit. And um, former House Speaker Terry Norelli, right after Governor Sununu threatened the veto, she filed the suit and basically asked the court to step in that uh, that if they're if the legislature is unwilling uh, to compromise with this governor and vice versa, judicial branch, it's your job to redraw the maps um, to comply with the 2020 census. So um, we've got we've got a legislative theater and we've we've got a judicial theater now of a congressional redistricting. I I. I think it's all going to work out. I think this governor and the legislative leaders, have, uh, like I said, there's any number of different permutations uh, that can produce a congressional redistricting map. Um, we've got a few more acts left in this morality play, but I think it's I think it's going to happen. Um, it's just been what a, a, a lot a messier, a lot messier, and and confrontational and. Uh, um, uh, and as you point out, uh, it doesn't get a whole lot of attention from the public, but it's important business. I mean, every 10 years, you um, you get to do this job. And it really it really is a legacy thing. If you do it, if, if you're for every governor who gets involved in this, if you, if you do it incorrectly, or if you get too partisan or too craven um, um, and try and grab too much power, um, it can leave a stain on on, on, on your tenure, you know, at the state house in the corner office. So, and, and I think that's, that's the other part of this, this governor understands. Um, he wants this to, to appear at least, um, to be very fair and even handed. You know, and what's interesting is there is, I think in some of this also the, at least, you know, on the federal side and how yeah. this is playing out the whiff of future presidential politics coming because um as you and i i think have talked about there has yeah. been some chatter in the republican pantheon about this governor running for president in 2024 and in a way uh this is an opportunity for him to lay down a moderate marker with right. the 
crazies in the legislature to say, listen, you guys are, are off the reservation. Um, I'm and, and by opposing the re, re, redrawing of these congressional districts, he could be later in a position to say, look, I didn't go along with everything that the right wing wanted. I stood up when it was the right thing for New Hampshire. Look at look at what a moderate I am. Right. And that and that certainly um, is also going to c- come into play in the governor's race, because um, you've got um, action on the uh, Democratic side on the Republic on the uh, on the governor's race. But before I get to the to the governor's race, I want to touch on um, the state redistricting, because we've talked about uh, the U.S. congressional redistricting fight, but. The Republican senators passed an amended bill for redistricting the state's executive council that was ne- that never saw the light of day in a public hearing process. Now, Democrats were incensed. Um, the 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 new map came out. Um, uh, it, the it fundamentally changed, especially. Um, Executive Council District 2, which used to stretch from the Vermont border to the seacoast. As a result of the change in the map, District 2 no longer goes from the seacoast to the Connecticut River. It now kind of goes, they took some of that right side away, and it now goes uh, down to the Massachusetts border. But it fundamentally moved towns around uh, that were in District One and into District Two, and and what we we just heard that uh, former Executive Councilor Mike Cryons announced Saturday he's going to run in a primary against very popular incumbent Cindy Warmington from Concord in District Two. Right. Um, that right. is that's it. That's a huge development for Democrats. Yeah, sure it is. I mean, um, uh, Senate Redistricting Chairman James Gray said um, initially they weren't going to do anything with the executive council maps because the, the the population difference between the districts is about two percent, which um, you need to get under ten percent, plus or minus ten percent. Um, uh, and two percent is pretty close. Um, mm-hmm. and, then, sure. and then you and then you had, and then you, you know it's a four to one Republican executive council, and you had right. three three Republican councilors basically saying, "Wait a minute," <laughs> you know, to the state senate, um, uh, you get to decide what your districts were, meaning state senators. You get to redraw what your district should be. Um, we should have a voice here. So the three of them, um, Joe Kenny from Wakefield, uh, Dave Wheeler from Milford, uh, Ted Gatzis from Manchester, all Republicans all, uh, submitted their map to the state Senate. And ultimately they didn't get everything they wanted, but they got, they each got some of what they wanted. And one thing Joe Kenny wanted was for Hanover to be moved from district one to district two. Hanover happens to be Mike Cryant's hometown right and, and um uh and uh and so um do you think they yeah. were going after cindy warmington 
you think do you think they were thinking this far ahead and trying to and trying to promote or provoke this kind of primary fight? Yeah, I do. I do. I think I think they were doing a solid for Joe Kenny. You know, I mean, making his district better, uh, getting rid of uh, a lot of um, Democratic leading towns and making the first district more Republican. But an offshoot of that, I mean, a, a, you know, um, a side benefit, like you said, is to is to create a primary for one of the Democratic Party's rising stars in New Hampshire, Cindy Warmington. And Mike Ryan's is no layup primary. I mean, Mike Ryan's um, represented the council for two terms. This district has more communities in it from Mike Ryan's district than it right. does from Cindy Warmington's right. district. Okay? It looks like you know, it looks like the new district has. You know, 46 towns from District 1, 32 towns from District yeah. 2. Right. And, and a few from others. And, right. and so um, um, so that's a real challenge for uh, Council Warmington. I still think um, um, she's already proven herself to be really good fundraiser, a very good constituent counselor, uh, someone who really does her homework. Um, um, I think she's still the favorite, but this is um, uh, this is not what you want. You're the only Democrat on the council, and um, um, uh, but it did, um, like you said, it um, it does sort of change her district uh, in a positive way, and in that um, um, in that her district right now is almost one town long, the entire width of the state. So um, uh, it does change that and, and that's a good thing, but you end up with a district, like you said, starts in Keene and goes almost to the Canadian border. It's pretty close there. And that, that's, yeah. that's a big council district. And, his, and what it changes is that going back even before Ray Burton days, I mean, the district one has always been the district that represents land mass wise, the upper half of the state. And this uh -huh. now, and this now splits that. This is the first. This will be the first um, time this is done. Certainly, in my memory, and, and I'm sure in many many decades. Yeah, I mean the, the executive council district two uh, begins to look quite a bit like my old congressional district, yeah. which is you know yeah. the le the left side the left side of the state. Yes. Um, so. That's pretty significant. Um, continuing, just uh, keeping continuing on, uh, talking a little bit about democratic politics here. Yes, um, sure. Dr. Tom Sherman had yeah. officially announced his bid for governor. Um, he started fundraising. He uh, lined up uh, immediately, lined up a lot of support from state reps and others. Yeah. But it looks like there may be another big name entry into the democratic field for governor. Um, tell us about it and uh, tell us uh, how you think it turns out. You mean if Gary. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm talking about yeah. Gary Hirschberg, Hirschberg the, yeah. the king of yogurt. Right. Stonyfield Farm co-founder, um, uh, formerly a Londonderry, now a Concord, um, um, progressive supportive of an income tax helped create, I mean, it's one of the uh, 
near impossible success stories. He was uh, not singularly responsible for, but he put the financial weight uh, in the late 90s um, and political horsepower um, that created in the late 90s an income tax bill passing the House and the Senate. It's never happened before. It may never happen again, but he, he helped make that happen. And, and of course, at the time, uh, Gene Shaheen was governor and said, if either of these bills get to my desk, I'm going to veto them. And, and that took, sort of took the, the air out of the balloon. But, um, uh, but Gary's very popular uh, in the Democratic Party, uh, a key fundraiser for a lot of people over the years, um, uh, and somebody who, um, who has a lot of interest in um, uh, progressive politics. I think uh, if this race comes to pass, it's sort of, you know, um, it's deja vu all over again, isn't it? I mean, in other words, uh, in many ways, Tom, Tom Sherman, uh, you know, uh, is the Dan Feltis candidate, um, more moderate, more establishment wing of the party. Um, and um, Gary Hirschberg's Andy Valensky, right? More, more liberal, uh, more, um, you know, of a, an activist, uh, a rabble rouser, <laughs> you know, a troublemaker yeah. in, in, yeah. in, a, in a good way. Um, yep. um, good trouble. Good yeah. trouble, as good. my friend John Lewis used to say. Yeah, good trouble. And uh, I mean, Gary is a pretty, you know, he's got a, a very interesting candidate. I mean, yes. look, in New Hampshire, it seems like the Democrats who have succeeded uh, in winning races for governor have generally been... Um, how do I put this? Commendably bland. I mean, yeah. kind yeah. of moderate, middle of the road kind of folks. I mean, um, you've got John Lynch with uh, strong management yes. and business experience. You've got Gene Shaheen, who you know, you know, is is no rabble rouser, no, 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 no. firebrand, no, no, no liberal, you know, no progressive icon. Um, Gary is an interesting mix as a candidate because he's this hugely successful entrepreneurial businessman mm. um, with an extraordinary social conscience uh, mm. whose business really has really led the way on a socially conscious uh, business um, field. So he can tout extraordinary management and business experience. But at the same time, his politics are very progressive. Uh, Democrats, some Democrats would say commendably progressive. And I suppose the Republicans would say, look, he's to the left of Andy Valinsky. And uh, nobody went for Andy Valinsky. Nobody's going to go for uh, Gary, Gary Hirschberg. Now, the one thing, one of the things that Gary Hirschberg does bring that is a really important in a gubernatorial race in New Hampshire is personal wealth. Yes. Um, he uh, sold uh, his company, Stonyfield Farm, to Danone, um, a, you know, a huge multinational French company. Um, he, you know, without we don't know exactly what his wealth entails, but it certainly is. is it's big. It's significant. <laughs> it's big. Um, and, uh, and plus, not only does he have personal wealth, but he has access to a huge network of very mm -hmm. successful uh, socially conscious entrepreneurs and businessmen and, and business women. And 
Um, he's got a powerful ally in his wife, Meg, yes. uh, who is an author and activist uh, for important progressive causes in her own right. Absolutely. And, and although the governor is in a very strong position, uh, this, in my view, creates a marquee race. Uh, if Gary uh, was to get in and if he was to win the primary, it would create the kind of high profile marquee race for governor that Democrats have not been able to mount in a long, long time because of Gary's uh, international visibility. And it might bring a lot of attention from the National Party uh, to New Hampshire, which uh, would otherwise have relied strictly on the Hassan race uh, for visibility. But it, it's the kind of lightning, it, it creates kind of a national lightning rod race. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think you're right, Paul. I think, um, um, and I always think really um, strong primaries can be strong builders for for a party. Uh, and I, um, I have no doubt this would be a very respectful race. These, both these guys, if, he, if, if Gary gets in, he's going to fight hard. He's going to work. You won't be outworked. And, and Tom, we know, is a real go-getter. I mean, that's why he's um, been trying to run up the score, like, as you pointed out, trying to get as many endorsements um, over the transom um, before Hershberg gets in the race. So, um, um, so this this primary would get a lot of attention and the, and the winner would win something valuable and, and we'll get, um, we'll get a significant bounce um, from winning this race. If, if this primary comes about, just like in the, the Republican U S Senate race, I mean, whoever wins and goes on to face Maggie Hassan is going to come out with some real momentum after winning a crowded primary an expensive race, um, a targeted race nationally, um, um, that's not the New Hampshire race for governor right now. It's not really seen, it's not seen as non-competitive, but certainly you've got to install Chris Sununu as the favorite. But uh, but if a Democrat won a primary in that race, you'd come out with a lot more momentum than if just Tom Sherman's going all over the state, uh, talking to all his friends and, um, and working on his victory speech for September because he really doesn't have a primary. That, uh, yep. You know, uh, this will create more energy uh, for whoever wins this thing. Uh, and for Democrats, that's a good thing. Well, you know, it, whatever, whoever wins, if Gary gets into the race and uh, if he wins this primary, he'll be up against a, a pretty tough, a pretty tough opponent. Uh, Governor Sununu so far has and has proved to be kind of Teflon. Um, yep. And as we talked about earlier in the show, he's uh, always trying to play both sides and burnish his credentials as a moderate. But as usual, um, as things get closer and closer, politics in New Hampshire are heating up and getting more and more interesting. We've got, we've with redistricting up in the air and, primaries from the U.S. Senate on the Republican side, and now a potential Democratic primary. Things are exciting. Kevin, thanks for joining us on Capitol Close. Thank you, Paul.